1: And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. I'm so happy to be back for part two with Dr. Molly Harmon. I know you love the first episode with her and you can't get enough of her. So we get another sit down with her. And today we're going to dig into some of her favorite modalities, even though she has an entire arsenal. I asked her to touch on my favorites, which are acupuncture, hydrotherapy, and homeopathy. And then we're also going to talk about women's health, menstruation, truth behind that, birth control, hormones and all the things. So thank you, Dr. Harmon, for sitting down with us again. I know you're very busy. You never use the word, but you are very busy. (laughs) You could have used that word if you wanted to, but you don't.
0: Thanks Jill. I'm so happy to be back. So happy to talk about some of the fun that I have in practice and and those modalities that I do get to use that are in my arsenal as you said. That's I like thinking about it. Like I always say toolbox, but arsenal is a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you've experienced this, but acupuncture is a phenomenal tool. And I, I think it weirds a lot of people out. So I'd like to talk about the science behind acupuncture, its mechanism of action, Um, you know, what organs and systems are we actually involving when we're using these tiny little needles? And then a lot of the other questions that come with that, like, does it hurt? <laughs> what if I'm afraid of needles, right? And so acupuncture is, you know, the study of traditional Chinese medicine, but also the way that we think about acupuncture is working on the system of ionic movement and ions, right? So we have ions running in our body all the time. They they change and exchange with things around us, our environment, our stress, our emotion, you know, all of that kind of puts out a different frequency or sound wave in your body of these ions moving. The study of acupuncture is mapping, they essentially mapped out that ionic flow or movement on these things called meridians. And those meridians are connected to every organ and system in your body. I always like to use the example. Now, just because I I needle an acupuncture point on the inside of your ankle called spleen six, it doesn't mean I'm doing anything to your spleen, right? Because a Chinese diagnosis Gets a little lost in translation, right? Since we're taking another language and translating it into English, when you're using Chinese diagnostic terms, you know, they're going to tell you that you have a cold wind invasion. (laughs) And that can sound, you know, real witchcrafty if you want it to, but really that could be an upper respiratory infection. We have American medical diagnostics that translate if you actually know what's going on and what's being said. So again, I can put a point in between your toes to help your lung, or I can put a point in the bottom of your foot to drop your blood pressure. These are all things because your whole body, right? The whole, every time we talk about naturopathic medicine and holistic health, we're talking about the body as a whole. And I I feel like that term gets thrown around a lot, Mm -hmm. Um, but we still have a habit of thinking about things in a systematic view. So, you know, I need my thyroid needs help. My leg hurts, things like that. But really, your whole body is being affected. Even when you injure your leg, your brain is very affected by that. You know, When we get a silly injury, a lot of us go through a little bit of a bout of depression just because one, it can be really silly. Two, you can't do the things that you want to do and it's frustrating, right? All but just because our leg hurt or we fell or whatever. So acupuncture comes in and communicates with all those organs and systems. And it's really neat because you can actually treat the entire body just within the ear itself. And some of our favorite things to utilize acupuncture and dry needling in our office is treatment of insomnia, anxiety, depression, treatment of um, hypertension. I, I love using acupuncture in what we'd call acute scenarios. So when somebody's sick for the moment or comes in and they're in a hypertensive crisis, Right. I can drop their blood pressure. I can make them feel better before they leave. One of my friends this 4th of July weekend, she had a sore throat. And so I I needled a, a point just in her hand. Actually, I didn't even needle. It. I think I ran out of needles. So I, I just found the point underneath her hand and, and pressed on that and gave her relief so that we could go do the next thing. So it's very powerful and very profound. And I think that it's not utilized more because it's misunderstood but it is working on a mechanism that we do have knowledge about. We we know that we have ions that run in our body. We do know that that disruption of ionic movement can cause um, disruption and illness in our body. And so utilizing tools like acupuncture and homeopathy, right? That's the same system that homeopathy works on can be very profound with a very small, I mean, when we're talking about just decreasing the need for higher interventions is what we call it. Uh, decreasing the need for medications for surgery and utilizing something so cheap and so synergistic with with your body is incredible, and with and no you, side effects. With no side effects. So, and you feel you feel good pretty immediately for the for the most part. I don't know why every oncology center isn't using an acupuncture for peripheral neuropathy. I mean, the, I mean, it's amazing the the patients that I have that that have cancer and are undergoing treatment. You know, if we start even before that first sign, if we know that the neuropathy is coming, and you know, if we start early, they won't have permanent damage. Doctor Harmon, sorry, explain to
1: them what what is peripheral neuropathy. Sometimes people okay. diabetics get yeah. that, or yeah.
0: Yes. So peripheral neuropathy is usually in your hands and your feet. And it feels like pins and needles. So it can be loss of feeling or a constant feeling of some type of pain or pins and needles or numbness. Diabetes common to have peripheral neuropathy, obesity, uh, any type of chemotherapy and uh, other infections that affect the nervous system, you can develop neuropathy. So very common thing that comes up in medicine and they essentially only have two drugs that they can use. And that's what you know, the NPs and PAs and, and docs tell me. They're like, you know, after we use these two drugs, I have nothing else to help their neuropathy. So if that doesn't work, I'm really out of options. And that's when they start to look for things like acupuncture, where it should be the first thing that we go to. Yeah. So it's just changing that thought process. It's educating, it's you know getting it out there on, on your podcast here, Jill, and utilizing it. And the more people that utilize it, the more it's going to be used as a first, not a last resort, as the first line of treatment. And I will tell you that the more patients that I share with other doctors, While utilizing acupuncture, they're now directly referring me to, Mm -hmm. you know, for that specific thing because they didn't have to write another script. Their patient got better in two visits. You know, all these things that are lower cost, fast results, their patient is happy, the doctors are happy, and you can move on to the next thing.
1: Yeah. And in my opinion, it's complementary to whatever that physician is doing. You're you're helping that physician look better and helping Mm -hmm. what they're trying to do, their treatment plan actually work rather than being some sort of intervention, which is going to throw it off, which is what a drug does, which is probably what happens to you. I'm going to speak for you and say, I, I would bet that you're treating a patient and then they go and see another doctor and damn it, they throw a wrench into it and go, oh, by the way, I started this drug. And you're like, oh gosh, well, now I have to deal with that because we have side effects. And so I'm a big fan, you know, because you're my doctor of acupuncture, I'm going to share with everybody my experience. So my first experience with acupuncture was many, many, many years ago. So I was one of the first young people in North America to be put on Prozac. So I was, it wasn't was in a trial, but I was like just out of some trial they had where I was very depressed at 15, 16. And they put me um, on Prozac for that. And I really was dependent upon it for years. And I had side effects. And I ended up getting off of it. And at one point I got back on the drug and I realized, you know what? I remember what this is like. I want to get off. But I was worried about the side effects. So I found a medical doctor in our city who did acupuncture because a friend told me she can get you off anything. So in six visits, I was off of Prozac completely in six visits, no side effects, none of the effects that I'd had before. And that's when I became a fan. And then I found you many, many, many years later. And in the things that you've treated me for, it's been everything from stress, a lot of stress. I mean, I don't mind if you share stress. I've come in. um Sinus infections. I, yeah, I had a sinus, sinus pressure. Headache. One time, yeah. One time I had a bizarre headache. But then also just for wellness. Like I just come to you just, I, I actually come in every week. Now just for wellness. So maybe we can talk about how that can be used also just to, harmonize your body and keep you healthy but it's interesting because i remember and then i've seen you do it acutely like with my daughter who was in a very acute very scary flare with her lupus where i mean it was bad we ended up calling the paramedics and you first got her all needled up to prepare her for what we were going to go through but one thing that's interesting is when i was in acupuncture it took a while before i had this feeling and i said to you you walked back in the room and i said oh my gosh that was amazing. And I started describing it. And you said, yeah, they call it being AccuStone. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Describe <laughs> what is true. that? Because it is the best feeling in the world. And now I get mm-hmm. it every time.
0: Yes, it really is the best feeling in the world. I mean, it is just that. It Acupuncture has a funny way of helping you go into a relaxed state and we have people that fight it and eventually you know the the treatment just wins and that's when it wins you just i would describe it as being content you're just perfectly content which i don't think as as americans were really comfortable or live in that state for very long, right? We're always going to the next thing or thinking about all the other to-do list things that we have to do. And and we get wrapped up in our day and our to-do list. And acupuncture kind of lets that roll off your shoulders. And it's not that you're careless. It, it is truly that you are content. And I'll, I'll even tell you, I was maybe like 19 years old the first time I ever got acupuncture. And the same thing, I, I got done with treatment and I just felt like a, a bowl of warm mashed potatoes. Like that's yes. <laughs> that's exactly how I would describe it. And it's not, I know we call it stoned, It's not a high in, in the sense that you would think like a drug at all. You are totally with it. And, uh, you know, yes. like I would just call it, you are content. And it is just opening up that that ionic pathway for a better flow of movement and I know, Jill, you've experienced this too, some needles will fall out during treatment. The longer I let them sit, eventually they'll fall out because they're done. So as long as that free flow is passing through that meridian point, eventually it will just push it out because there's nothing in the way. It's funny, if you've ever gotten acupuncture the way that we look and select the points that we're going to use, then you'll realize that that you're tender where there's blockages, right? But I can feel it and I'll be like, hey, you know, have you been angry this week (laughs) or? No, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And we can really tell with those palpatory skills, you know, where there is blockages. And- Blockage is kind of a funny word because it's more of a buildup. It's more of stuck. It's stuck at that point. And when things are stuck and in the way, then nothing else is communicating as it should. So when you open up all those points at once and you sit in a quiet room with music, then you're forced to sit still because you have a bunch of acupuncture needles in you. Uh, You're forced to focus on breath and you're forced to let go. And by the end of treatment, you're content. A lot of people, even when I'm not treating people for sleep, they'll come back and say, I had the best night of sleep of my life. And a lot of it is because those things that we don't even realize that we're carrying do roll off in our lighter. So yeah, I would describe it as getting the the feeling of content, which is a funny thing. You wouldn't think that you could treat people for that. But what do you think A uh, anti-anxiolytic and antidepressant, you know, what are those doing, right? They're trying Amen. to disrupt. Yeah, they're trying to disrupt. They're trying to suppress. And that's why a lot of people say they just don't feel anything. That's not acupuncture. It's content. You know, I'm not overly happy. I'm not by any means sad. I'm just good with what, where I'm at. And that's the difference in the types of treatments when you're using natural medicine because it works so center- You'll hear my, me say synergistic so many times, so synergistically with your body. That it is like, if this is too high, we'll bring it down. If this is too low, we'll bring it up. Where medication has one direction, Mm -hmm. right? Just one direction. And you can tell my years
1: of nursing, you can tell the questions I ask you because I fully trust you, but I've been programmed to believe, is Mm -hmm. that going to be too much? Is that going to be too little? Is that, because I'm always looking at those parameters and you're like, Jill, your body knows what to do. Just relax. And going back to the contentment, I will tell everyone listening that the way it feels for me and everyone's different, it's contentment, plus I can physically feel it. So it's this like internal buzzing of joy. Mm-hmm. Like I feel this sort of like warm, not hot, but this warm, nice, beautiful sensation. And I'm just so happy. I'm grateful. I feel joy. And sadly, I don't feel that enough. So when I come in for acupuncture, it's a reminder to me that, as you said, I'm so, can be so in fight or flight and so in go, 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 or stress or worry or all of it, that when I feel that, I realize, you know, this is accessible all the time. It really is accessible. Somebody wrote yesterday, people confuse spiritual Zen with thinking about God while peeling potatoes. Spiritual Zen is simply peeling the potatoes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's so good. Because that's when I'm in acupuncture and I get to that state. That's it, guys. I am literally just being. I just feel present. I feel God. I feel love. And it's not a high. It's just such a great feeling. And I remember once, Dr. Harmon, you put one of the needles in at some point on my leg or foot, and it did not feel good. And you said, you always know when and you said, no, just leave it in. It'll be okay. And the, feel, the pain went away, but it did end up kind of popping out later. And I said, what was that? And you kind of looked at me and I said, what was it? And I remember you said grief. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I know it's hard for us to wrap our brains around because I get, you can lower my blood pressure. I get, you can help my thyroid. You can make my pain in my throat go away. But how in the hell is that connected (laughs) to grief? But I was grieving. I was going through something so deeply painful in my personal life. And Dr. Harmon knows, I was sobbing and sobbing to her. Mm -hmm. And that pain in my, that spot in my leg was connected to that. And I, I have no other way to explain it other than it was spot on, like as in literally.
0: <laughs> right. But how is yes, that? Literally. Well, acupuncture again and the study of those meridians. So they connect all the names. The meridians are essentially organs. And each organ has its own emotion that it carries, right? Right. So again, that's another thing that we disconnect—that an emotional response or ailment is in the brain. That's a brain problem, but we don't think about it how how it connects to organs and systems because it definitely does. Anybody ever been nervous before you have to give a speech in front of class? Or do you feel that? You feel that in your gut. You don't feel that in your brain. You want to go poop right before you perform. <laughs> you know why do yes. you think that is? Right. Which is funny because the stomach and GI—that's fear in acupuncture, right? Yeah, in Chinese medicine, that that organ and system is related to fear. The lung is grief. The spleen is stress, angst, anxiety. We needle the spleen a lot here. Liver is anger, and so it is that that connection that true. We're talking about treating the whole body, right? Every organ and system and emotion, because the brain is connected. And it's funny because I, I believe in Chinese, when we're talking about like heart-mind, we have to use two words. In Chinese, it's just one word. Like they have one word for heart-mind mm. and we don't even really have a word for that. And that's just tells you the difference of their connection and understanding with their body, both mentally and physically and ours. I mean, we tried to organize it. A type A person came in, which hey, I get it, I'm type A, and tried to separate all these things into systems and we kind of forgot about treating them all together and looking at them all together, which is why a naturopathic doctor's first office call is 90 minutes long because (laughs) we have to look at it all together and take the time to observe what is going on. But yeah, that, that is why that happened and you know why you can feel tension at those points and that's the other thing as, you, and you, you've you done this, Joe. but as you get treated, those points become less and less tender because you're healing and you won't need it all the time. But it is a great thing to go do on hand when you're having a rough week, for sure. If I get sick, acupuncture is one of the first things that I do because I get immediate relief. So even if I have to do it on my lunch break to get through the next five hours of the day, at least I'll feel good for the next five hours, you know, before I can go home and rest. So it is a phenomenal underestimated tool, underutilized tool. The research on it is great. Like don't let anybody ever tell you it's not evidence-based medicine because we have exhausted the research on this. They can use acupuncture during surgery. They can use it during birth. One of our favorite things to do in the office is Uh, When people are past their due date and they want to come in, there's induction points for labor. And it's just a fun thing. There's with a single needle on the end of a pinky toe, we can flip a breech baby. You know, things like that. I did not
1: know that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I know someone who just had a cesarean because she was breech. And I said, hey, I know there are doctors who can do some sort of manipulation as a chiropractor. She's like, we've tried it all. Didn't work. I had no idea that you could do that. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. amazing. And it's great. You know, a single, we just sit, we hang out, we make sure the baby's moving and and then you go and make sure that they're head down. And usually they are. Uh, one of the first patients I did it on, she was like, I'm doing handstands in the pool. I'm getting adjusted. I'm, you know, any like old wives tale you've heard about, I've tried it. We did one session with a single needle and the pinky toe and uh, moxa over it and we're good to go and what's moxa moxa is an herb a penetrating herb that you light on fire (laughs) and you light i know (laughs) you light it on fire it looks like this it's like a black stick you light it on fire and you just hover it over the point and it like penetrates the point we use it in lots of different traditional chinese medicine treatments that's not the only thing it's used for but It is a thing that you, if you know how to use it and you have it on hand, it'd be silly not to use it for something like that. But then she only had to come in one time for that, you know, so, and baby was head down the rest of the time and they were good to go.
1: Now, before we get to the other modalities, and I also want to add a little bit of red light therapy. Yes. Just like you tell me, I'm going to add some red light therapy. I'm going to add that to the conversation, (laughs) but I want to take a left turn because when you talked about neuropathy, so listeners know that I have breast implants and they know that I'm getting them out. But when, one thing I never shared, just because it wasn't relevant, is that I have had neuropathy in my left breast for 25 years. And I was told that there was nothing I could do about it. And I lived with it for 25 years. And so I nursed, breastfed three babies, two of them for a full year. One of them, we both got chickenpox when she was four months old. That was Mary. And I had to stop. But it was so painful. I mean, just the the sucking motion on that breast, I can't even tell you the pain and I just gutted it out. Obviously, it affects intimacy because it, it's so painful. But then a third of my breast is n- completely numb. The rest feels a little bit like pins and needles. But if I would touch any of it, it could even bring in like a sharp pain. And so I have lived with this for 25 years, never told Dr. Harmon because I didn't think there was anything I could do. I wasn't willing to go on any medication, and I thought it was that was it because obviously, in the surgery, some sort of a nerve was you know nicked. Will you share with them when I told you <laughs> what you said and what, what our treatment plan is? Just because I know that there's someone out there that's going to say, Oh my gosh, I had a surgery, whatever the surgery is, and I have a spot that feels mm-hmm. like that.
0: So, during surgical procedures like that, nerves do get cut and they're not always supposed to, but sometimes it is unavoidable. And if someone would have talked to Jill more about neuropathy and about it being abnormal. And I think, I mean, remind me, Jill, but I think you were told like that it was no big deal. Yes,
1: I actually brought it up to my surgeon and I really like my surgeon. He's such a great guy and he is brilliant. And this is why you need to always be talking to several practitioners or at least a couple and be talking to someone who's more holistic-minded, in my opinion. He's just traditionally trained. And I said to him, hey, this is really bad. And he said, it should get better. Well, I went back to him 15 years later or 20 years later having issues with that implant and thinking of getting them out then. And I said, hey, the thing is, this is really bad. Like it's not gotten better. And yeah, he did say that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like we we talked about earlier, so this is different because we're not treating on an acupuncture point for neuropathy, and in this case, and actually, many neuropathy cases, any cases that have any type of pain, you're not always necessarily needling on a meridian. So, a little bit different treatments, if you, if you, a little different mechanism that you're trying to elicit. And that would be, I, I told you, I said, well, we could try it. And I said, what I would do is I wouldn't needle you any more than twice in that area. And um, if there's relief, we would continue treatment until we got to a new better plateau where it wasn't so painful. Or if after those two times you tell me there is zero change, then acupuncture is probably not going to help that area. And that's why I love acupuncture too, because I know how great it is and how quickly it works. And I know what to look for. So I know that if after two treatments, I see zero change. And I usually give two sessions just so I can even change the area that I'm needling or the type of needle that I'm using. And that's what we did. So I I told her two times. And if not, you're going to tell your surgeon and we're going to get those nerves cauterized so that you don't have pain because that's not normal. And it's a very for women, right? Your breasts. A lot of people don't realize you know, how connected women are, are with their breasts. And Think about when you're around your cycle, when your hormones flexing, like the tenderness in your breasts, the swelling in your breasts, all these things come up. So yeah, essentially what's happening, backing up a little bit, essentially what's happening when we're utilizing that, we're not needling along a meridian, like we talked about earlier, is we're causing micro trauma to the area. Don't get too caught up in the word trauma to the tissue, but you're not even bleeding from these points. That's how small it is. So we circle the area that's problematic or that has neuropathy with small acupuncture needles. You let them sit for 10 to 12 minutes and you pull them out. And that's the treatment. And essentially, when you're causing microtrauma to the area, it stimulates a couple of things. It tells the nervous system that something's new there. And then it tells the immune system that you need to go in there and clean this area up. Right. Mm-hmm. So is it similar to like if I get a little cut on my arm and I get the
1: inflammatory response, it turns red and it starts right. the healing process similar. It to starts
0: that. the healing process, right? And sometimes when we have these old ailments, your immune system isn't recognizing that it's a problem. Your brain is saying, Hey, this hurts. Don't let anything else touch it. But your immune system isn't saying, Hey, we need to go in there and clean it up. So when you cause trauma to the tissue, just this little poking. Uh, in the area that's problematic. We do the same thing. With if people like get a bruise, sprain their ankle, will cause microtrauma to the tissue with a needle to have a quicker healing response mm-hmm. because it, it increases the blood flow to the area, which always improves healing time and it decreases pain. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you get this big chain reaction of responses between your nervous system, your immune system, and your circulatory system to come and clean things up. So you're trying to change the response right you're trying to get a new signal in there and you're trying to get new healing cells in there to do a better job and so that's similar to red light therapy what you're doing is um, increasing the mitochondrial cell function for better healthier cell turnover you're just trying to always elicit a bigger immune response if that makes sense
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and before we get to red light therapy It's interesting, this little example of me having the neuropathy in one breast is it just goes perfectly under the theme of the reason why I have you on this podcast. Because here I could have avoided 25, not 25 minutes, 25 years Mm -hmm. of pain, of frustration, of, and not just pain, also just like bizarre sensations. And for 25 years, if I had known that, acupuncture could have helped that and if my doctor had been educated to understand because he's in a, a brilliant surgeon and I'm and he's Chinese by the way Chinese American mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. know he would have sent me to you if he had known I guarantee you he's the nicest person he didn't know and right. so it just makes me happy that you're doing this with us because if that brilliant of a guy who actually tends to be I would say like has a holistic twist to him you know he gets nutrition he's If he didn't recommend acupuncture even 15, 20 years after I told him I was in pain, he clearly doesn't know that that would help this. And I was a nurse working on babies less than a pound in the NICU and working with cardiac patients and doing all kinds of cool things. And I didn't know that it helped me, that this is why I'm so grateful that you're getting this message out. So as far as red light therapy, I saw it for the first time on Instagram a couple of years ago, and I Follow this amazing woman. If you guys don't follow Angie Green, you would love her, Dr. Harmon. She's a former triathlete. Now she's this mom who's just so into holistic health and her career is actually like learning about things and trying products and then selling them and educating women. That's, that's all she does. She's wonderful and she is a big believer in red light, light therapy. And she has a whole, you know, when you look at the Instagram account, they have the highlight circles. Her highlight on that is, is very educational. Tell us, besides what you said about the mitochondria, what would someone see if they did red light therapy regularly just for their overall wellness and their mental health?
0: Mm, Yes, you can absolutely do red light therapy for mental health. Our young patients who suffer from like extreme anxiety and depression swings definitely benefit from red light therapy. So, right, we talked about mitochondria. So it's important because mitochondria is like the energy unit of the cell. So it's an important thing to have an effect on, especially when things like hormones make everything a little bit more sluggish, for a lack of a better term. You can utilize red light therapy for any skin ailment and essentially have these different settings of penetrations and frequencies of light to again interact again, right, with that ionic system in your body that has its own frequency. So you can use it for skin, you can use it for anxiety and depression, you can use it for anything. I I would argue, again, right, if you have a patient that is not a good healer, so right, diabetes, very common in America, makes you a very poor healer. And again, smoking, still weirdly common, makes you a poor healer as well. I would argue that anything post-surgery, you should be taking home a, a red light for at least a week and doing it every day for 30 minutes to improve your healing time, to decrease the risk of infection, and to get back on your feet a lot quicker. Mm. The patients that we've utilized red light therapy post-surgery, and they have a follow-up with their surgeon, this happened. I had a patient at a hip replacement. And I remember he came in and the surgeon was like, man, he's like, you're looking really good for six weeks post-op. This is like insane. He's like, it's only been four weeks. The patient was like, it's only been four. You think I look good for six? It's only been four weeks. So things like that, where when we're really talking about the effects it's having on just the tissue, the cells that you can see, right? The cells that you can't see, but you feel it's profound. It's a great thing to utilize. And everyone can kind of have some form of red light therapy in your home, which I think it is, Another thing that's not understood, right? We have red lights in, in our office and yeah, they're very high quality, but you don't have to have the best of the best red light therapy to be able to utilize it in your home. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go buy like a $30 one on Amazon. But, well,
1: I can but, mention a company, Dr. Harmon. There's a company and I'm not paid to say, to say this. I'm not affiliated with them, but it's called Juve, J-O-O-V. Mm-hmm. And Angie Green is the one who turned me on to them. And I did some research even in the last week because of my big surgery coming up. And everyone listening, if you go find Angie Green on Instagram, she, you put in her code, I think it's A-N-G-I or it might be A-N-G-I 10, but you get a discount if you buy through her and they have portable ones. She said it's not 30 bucks on Amazon, but it's like 150 and great. L- they're little ones, or you can do what I hope to do one day, which Angie Green, her husband, they built a whole thing that you can stand up next to, which is like five feet high. And they she did it through her whole pregnancy, through her recovery after having the baby. And then their kids stand in there with them. So red light therapy is great. Will you explain to them, we could talk for hours about this, but what is homeopathy in a nutshell? Try to say that quickly. Yes, I, yes. Am, You know I'm obsessed with it. I am so fascinated. I have seen amazing results with my family.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Homeopathy is incredible. Another tool that I would say is underestimated, but probably because, again, that it's not well understood. So homeopathy, in a nutshell, is nanopharmacology. Homeo means similar, pathy means suffering. So you're using a similar substance that would cause an issue in a patient, but in a highly diluted dose. And when we're talking about highly diluted, we're like beyond Avogadro's number. Very, 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 very diluted. You can't even trace the substance within the actual remedy, okay? And what happens with that? is you are essentially like all that's left in that remedy that we highly diluted was, is the ionic structure because water has memory. And now the ionic structure of that substance that you were diluting, either plant, mineral, or animal, right, is now in an ionic form. And you can treat ions in your body with an ionic form, an ionic medicine. So don't get lost in this. So There is, again, we talked about those ions being like a sound wave. And in physics, every action has an opposite but equal reaction. So when you have two sound waves that are going the exact same and they meet, everything stops. So a a quick example of this that I think everybody would get, I'll I'll try and give two. So we have homeopathic poison ivy, right? Everyone knows what poison ivy is. So if somebody gets poison ivy and they come into my office, I give them homeopathic poison ivy, a highly diluted version of that plant that made them sick and they'll get better because you're treating the ionic response of, ionically of sound wave wise, right? This is what poison ivy looks like. Here is the remedy ionically of poison ivy.
1: If I'm hearing you right, it doesn't matter that it's so diluted because it has the same ionic structure.
0: Correct. That's so fascinating hmm So same thing with like, we have homeopathic honeybee, which is homeopathic apis. And so I got stung by a bee last summer. I stepped on a bumblebee. I was really sad about it. And, you were sad for
1: the bee, let's be clear. You weren't sad for yourself because you're that yeah, nice.
0: <laughs> I was sad for the bee. Yes. And I took two doses, 15 minutes apart of homeopathic apis because I have a homeopathic... Remember, I, mean, I wouldn't be a good naturopathic doctor if I didn't, right? So I have it on hand. I took two doses, I think, of a a 200C apis, which means it's been diluted over 200, even more than that. But this is the other cool thing in homeopathy. The closer you get to that ionic structure, the more dilute the remedy is, the stronger it is. So we have like 6Cs, 30Cs, 200Cs, 1Ms. You know, those are the doses of homeopathy even though like a 6c is way less diluted than a 200c the 200c is way stronger so it's crazy so i took two doses and all my swelling all my pain was gone in less than half an hour and i tell you what i forgot how much that hurt <laughs> it didn't hurt a lot but we can use i don't just need homeopathic apis homeopathic honeybee for bee stings it could be for anything that was red hot swollen and better with cold Mm, does that like make a burn? sense? Like it burnt my finger on like something. Like a burn. Yes, like a burn. So that is how we break down homeopathy is what symptoms are being elicited and how how can we match that and something with that we know that causes illness. So you, a lot of the homeopathic remedies are poisonous substances like arsenic or Aluminum or gold or mercury, right? So we know what that looks like in a sick person when they've been poisoned. So we can give them a homeopathic dose for somebody who has a stomach flu. A good remedy for neurogenic pain is hypericum. So there are so many things that we can use. So that's just the acute side of homeopathy. When you're sick the second or something happens, you're going to take this remedy to heal better and get a better response. But then there is what we would call the constitutional treatment of homeopathy, which is if I took Jill and I tried to put her into a, a homeopathic remedy, all of her mental, physical, uh, any of her, her symptoms that she talks to me about, I put all of that together and I, I I see what remedy comes up. And it goes down to like the foods that you crave. Are you hot when you sleep? You know, the fears that you have, it's things that doctors will never ask you about unless they're utilizing homeopathy. And we even talk about like, what foods don't you like? All these crazy little questions that make you, you. And that's how specific it is. But when we're that specific and we give you a homeopathic remedy for something like PTSD, for something like anxiety, depression, right? Guess what? It stops. And it's way less heavy and you feel better and you're less, when we're talking about contentness, right, in acupuncture, remember same mechanisms, working on the same ionic system, homeopathy is that way too. The things that used to weigh on your shoulders that drowned you roll off and feel lighter.
1: Oh gosh, you know, I, I mean, the whole homeopathy topic is fascinating to me and I like the acute stuff. And, but this part, you know, is like my thing. I'm obsessed with it. Not my thing as if I understand it, but when Dr. Harmon introduced this to me, I was like, wait, what did you just say? She showed me the book and I said, wait, you can basically take like my being, my way of being and find it in this book. You guys, this reason alone, go find a naturopath. It's fascinating. I mean, she's so used to it, but for us, it's like when you read your, is it called your type, your,
0: your constitutional constitutional type. Mm -hmm. constitutional
1: type. So when I looked in the book and and Dr. Harmon said, read this and tell me if this is you, I think this is you. And it was like reading my soul. It was, I I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that is me. So she gave me, minus sepia. And so she gave me mine and I had no expectations whatsoever. It was just for overall wellness. And I told her within two doses, I felt better than I felt years and years and years ago when I first went on an antidepressant it is so hard to describe, isn't it? It's not, yeah. it's the same feeling similar to what I had in acupuncture. It is, like you said, this just, I don't know how to put it the words. Yeah. It's like it's you just content. your, your yeah. heart gets this big hug and you mm-hmm. just feel content. Yeah, content's the word. You feel content. You feel grounded. I feel grounded into myself. I feel content. I feel joy, but not like, too much, like just like this happiness, gratitude. So no matter what life does throw at me, and you know I've had a lot of things in the last year, those still hurt, Mm -hmm. but it's not in the same way. And the reason I also know it really works is because I ran out and I thought, oh, I'll go see Dr. Harmon tomorrow. I'll go tomorrow. And then before I knew it, it was like eight or nine days. Mm -hmm. And on the 10th day, I was like, why am I so tired? And why do I feel kind of sad? Like sort of like this apathetic feeling. And I thought, oh, no, it can't be those little tiny little, they look like little sugar babies, Yes. You know, (laughs) and I got my new supply. And I think the first dose I took, I felt a difference. And we've seen it when um, my little grandson, Rocco, is also a patient. And she was talking to his mom and me about him. And she said, is there anything unusual? And we said, well, it's really funny because he hates eggs. He won't eat eggs. And who doesn't like eggs? And she was like, ooh, interesting. And it turns out he had the same constitutional type as George, my son, who also went through a period of not liking eggs. And we could go down a million rabbit holes. We won't. Because I almost (laughs) started to ask you about like how you've seen with my kids, they show up as one type, but that's not really their type. Mm Because people can...
0: Or you can have layers. Layers. Yeah, yeah. You can have layers because especially not so much in pediatric and homeopathy, treating children in homeopathy is amazing because they don't have all those layers. (laughs) They can outgrow a remedy, but they don't have layers of life and trauma and illness that we have to slowly peel back. It does take time. There's a lot of fidesz around um, being able to prescribe a constitutional type. But the great thing is... Is that, you know, homeopathy is cheap. It's dirt cheap. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, six to 10 bucks a remedy, depending on on the dosage that you're using. Well, don't tell the Um, pharmaceutical
1: companies because as soon as they figure out how good (laughs) it is that it helps people, they're going to jack up the prices just like they do with insulin. I mean, seriously, right? That's why it's cheap.
0: Hmm. I mean, especially for things like PTSD, anxiety, depression, where they're very limited in the things that they have, and that eventually, you know, those medications—not always, but typically—you stop responding to them. They—they they don't have a as big of effect. You can only go so high up in a dose, right? You climb and climb and climb homeopathy, its mechanism is much different. And I don't know if you've gone through this, Joe, but you will realize that you won't need it every day yes. after you started healing. And then you'll just have it in your medicine cabinet when you do get knocked down a little bit or you check in with yourself and you're like, man, why am I so irritable? Why, why am I sad? Why don't I have the energy to get up off the couch? And you'll be like, well, maybe I should take my remedy. The
1: other thing I notice is that my body will crave it. Like I have it in the same spot in my bathroom so I don't forget it. And sometimes I look, I'm like, hmm, yeah, I don't need that. And other times I look and it's not my brain. I'm mean, like, my body knows. I'll say, yeah, I probably should do that today. And so now it's like, I take it probably every three to four days, maybe every three days. So the way it works, if I'm understanding you, you know, so I'm taking mine every day for my personal constitutional type, but then obviously then I can layer on it On top of that, other ones for other things. I have a bee sting. I have a stomach ache. Is there ever a problem with I get stung by a bee, I'm feeling anxious, I have a stomach ache, and I got carsick? Is there a problem with me in one day trying all those? Nope,
0: not a problem at all. And the other great thing about homeopathy is it can't interact with any other medications. It doesn't really have side effects. It either essentially works or it doesn't. We could talk about aggravations and provings, that, but that's more physician and patient related. But really, truly, it doesn't have side effects. Cannot, literally cannot interact with medications. And acupuncture the same way. How many things, even herbally, right? I have to be careful about the herbs I give if somebody's on a medication. I have to know that to herb interaction, which we do know very well, but I could always use acupuncture. I can always use homeopathy. So if I have a patient that comes in on 14 different medications, and we do, I know that that's where I'm going to start because I know it's going to be safe and effective.
1: And one thing I love also about naturopathy is that you don't rush things because, you know me, I'm like, let's get to the good stuff. All right, type me. Let's, as soon as I figured out what, what it was, as soon as I brought my kids in as patients, I said to my 19-year-old, oh, so what's your constitutional type? She's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, there she goes again. Dr. Harmon's taking her time. (laughs) She, you know, I would want to like type them immediately and, and you know that that's not what works. And so you waited a while before you gave Julia hers. And I know you told me some of that too is because you observe them. You ask them a lot of questions because when you read, had me read my type, it also was written. It's interesting. It was written like poetry and it was so detailed. Like it's not guys. When you look this up, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's not just like, you know, this person is, tends to be slender and they don't love blue cheese and they sometimes have a bad mood. It's like pages of details that are even about like your essence. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm
0: like what happens when you get angry? What happens when you get sad? They talk about a healthy type and we'll talk about sepia, right? What does sepia look like when she's healthy and happy? What does sepia look like when she's not? And I say she, because typically sepia is a female remedy, but um, you can have sepia men as well. And they're, they are, they're written almost like a little story. Like if somebody was describing the person in front of me, the the books that I use to help me prescribe, I'm not above using resources. I'll use them all day. And they do, they write it out the same way for children. I, and I do, I, I love having my patients read what I'm talking about. And they are like floored, especially when I do it to parents and I, I'll have them read like, hey, does this sound like your child of the thing that we're treating? And I will tell you, they always come in with a, some type of ailment that we're working on, you know, in children, let's say it's ADD, ADHD. In my head, I will say, okay, well, these six remedies are commonly used in ADD and ADHD. And then I'll start to talk to them. I'll start to observe the kid. Are they making eye contact with me? Or if I ask the child a question, do they look at mom for the answer? Are they running around the room and bouncing around? Or are they like crossing their arms? All of those things lead me to a different remedy. And that's why it's so specific. What else do we have that's so specific to who you are? I also love homeopathy because Hahnemann, the the founder of homeopathy, Samuel Hahnemann, he was a Christian man. And so when we were in school, we we had to do a lot of uh, history of homeopathy before we actually got to the prescription. But he has scripture within his book as he's describing the mechanism of homeopathy and how it works. And for me, that's just, we're so wonderfully made. We're so wonderfully made. And to be able to utilize a tool that identifies with how unique and individual you are, but how powerful your body is at the same time. I mean, it's just amazing. It's a really, really great tool. I will say not all naturopathic doctors know how to use homeopathy, probably in the uh, most of us know acutely, right? So if the bee sting, poison ivy, you're sick, something like that. Constitutional typing is extra training.
1: Okay. So could they ask, I mean, if they went to a naturopath, could they say, hey, have you been trained in constitutional typing?
0: Yep, they can. And uh, it would be more like, are you classically or clinically trained? I'm both. I'm classically trained in homeopathy and clinically trained. So even using homeopathy acutely is a great tool for your doctors to be able to use. The constitutional typing takes finesse. And sometimes, I mean, I have a really tough case that has a lot of layers, and I don't think the case is really clear, I'll call another doctor that utilizes homeopathy. Um, there are homeopathic doctors who only utilize homeopathy, and they are very skilled at what they do. So one of my best friends, Dr. Ashley Adams, she practices just outside of Chicago for practices has been there a long time. And she works with two other medical doctors who have been practicing for a very, 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 very long time. That's all they used. Both, both the MDs there left the medical field because they just felt like they weren't helping anybody. You know, they saw drugs kill people all the time. They saw surgery kill people all the time. And as harsh as that was, they stepped outside. They traveled the world. They found new education and found homeopathy and, and never really looked back. There are definitely, I wouldn't say that I'm the most skilled person. I do have a passion for it and I'm always willing to look. And if a case is really clear to me, I will utilize it. If it's not as clear and I want to utilize homeopathy, I will call. But as Jill says, she knows I take one step at a time. Mm -hmm. And I'm very careful about if I think somebody's ready or not. And I'm very careful about if I feel like I'm getting the true person in front of me. We have a pattern of not trusting doctors, right? That we've developed that in medicine. And it's going to take why I love it towards it's always like the last half hour of my first office calls right if if patients are apprehensive to opening up or they don't even realize that they're allowed to open up in my visit because they've been so trained not to it's that last half hour that they really unfold and they start to tell me all those things in between and that's because I've tried to create a safe environment where they can they can talk to me about their illness or they can talk to me about their dog and their kids like It's supposed to be like that because I'm supposed to truly get to know you, not just your sickness. And that's only going to help me treat you better. That's going to help any doctor treat you better and care about you more. So before we move on to a couple
1: topics on women's health, and we'll have to have you back um, on another episode to really dig into this, but I promised them we would at least touch on it. Before we get to that, I know there is a a brand for homeopathic treatment that you recommend that's over the counter. It's super cheap for, for the acute stuff. And will you tell them what that is?
0: Yeah, Boron, I was spelling B-O-I-R-O-N, I I think I spelled that right, is uh, a French brand that's been making homeopathy for a a long time. And also Washington Homeopathics. Uh, Washington Homeopathics makes a great at-home kit, an emergency kit, and it has a little printout of like three symptoms that you can use the remedy for. So both of those I have, And a third one is Highland Homeopathic. So all three of those are are brands that I have in our clinic. And I I usually only utilize different brands because of carrying different things. Um, But Boron, who's been around a really long time and probably the biggest homeopathic provider, you can find homeopathic dispensaries at like a fresh time. They're going to have those big blue cases with all the remedies in alphabetical order. You can find them at like a Whole Foods. Usually they have a little homeopathic section. So that's what's great is, you know, if I don't have a remedy or an out and I know that another store will have a like, hey, just run over to Fresh Time. They should have it in this dose. Go get it.
1: I remember my grandson's pediatrician when he had a fever when he was little, had us just take a couple of the little, I call them pellets, like little BBs and just put it in the breast milk and had him drink it. And it was so weird to me because it looked like I was giving him medicine. And he said, don't worry, it can't hurt him. And it it made him feel better almost immediately. All right, so let's shift for a minute into, again, these topics are so deep, but the truth about women's health. I mean, we'll do a few other our episodes and you did suggest you have a few colleagues who could maybe be on the podcast and dive into this deeper as well. But what do you wish that women out there knew about birth control pills, the birth control pill, hormones, and everything related to either their menstruation or menopause, just all of that. All of this this is with women's health. What do you wish women knew that they may not know?
0: Probably the, the biggest thing starting with birth control, right? The pill is that taking the pill may help regulate your periods, but it will never, I repeat, never regulate your hormones. It's just providing a hormone, right? It's just replacing it and not forcing your ovaries to correct and do the right thing. So again, as soon as you come off of that, your cycles are going to return horrible. But also another thing to keep in mind, right? So we're giving your body hormone to create this certain response. And it's going to have an effect on the rest of your body, not just your ovaries, not just your cycle, right? So I will tell you, and this this is something that is not talked about enough. And I get, first of all, birth control is not well-made, not well-made. There's not a lot of good options and the symptoms that come from birth control aren't talked about enough and they're all listed. I can't tell you the number of young women who have come into my office who have been on birth control for a year or two, I would say less than two years, who develop. They would tell you out of nowhere, no other reason, who develop depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. We're not even talking about like the normal things that people talk about with birth control, like weight gain or hair growth, or you know sometimes it can make your acne better. Sometimes it can make it worse. I'm talking about other ailments that you're going to get another script for. And I'm talking about 16, 17, 18 years old.
1: And my daughter's one of them. You know that.
0: Hmm. And so I'll tell you a story about my sister. My sister was put on birth control. She was, I think, seventeen years old, and she all of a sudden, out of nowhere, about a year into taking it, started sobbing uncontrollably. Like she would just be, she was a waitress. She would be at work and like could not breathe. She was crying so hard. And by the time you got her to calm down and be like Megan, you know what's wrong? She said nothing nothing is wrong, I just can't stop crying and I don't know why. And it really scared her and she didn't know why it was happening and the only new thing that she was taking, the only script she'd ever been on was that birth control. And so she finally, after this going on for weeks and weeks and weeks, she finally stopped it and two weeks later, all of those symptoms stopped. So why did that happen? How is birth control causing panic attacks, anxiety, depression? What's involved in that? So you have something in your body called your OAT axis. And OAT stands for ovarian, adrenal, and thyroid, right? All things that hopefully we've heard about. And you really need to think about this axis as a three-legged stool. And when one leg is wobbly, the whole system begins to falter. That's what happens with birth control. You're messing with your ovarian hormones and it's kicking back on your adrenal glands and your thyroid. A lot of those more, quote unquote, common symptoms when taking birth control are thyroid related symptoms. But when we're talking about depression, anxiety and panic attacks, that's an adrenal response. And because we've separated them into these symptoms, we've separated that into even just an emotional problem, a psyche problem, right? Panic attacks, anxiety, depression happening for quote-unquote no reason, or thyroid issues, weight gain, hair growth, hair loss, all those changes in your sleep, changes in your temperature, all of those things. We're going to treat the thyroid separately. It's going to have nothing to do with your birth control. We're going to treat the most of the time. Doctors don't even look at the adrenal glands, Right. So, and that's why it's happening is because it's a three-legged stool. You can't just mess with one organ that talks to two other organs constantly and they're supposed to be reacting appropriately and expect it. It's just not going to affect them. We're not going to have issues. We're going to pretend like it's not going to affect our cortisol levels. Then that's going to affect our sleep. Then That's going to affect our weight. That's going to affect our appetite, right? The list goes on and on and on and on you're essentially going to create an O-axis dysfunction problem that's going to kick back onto your pituitary gland, which kicks back onto your hypothalamus. Now you've messed up this whole line of communication and your prescribing doctor is probably not even recognizing it.
1: And a lot of these people, including my daughter, go on the birth control and it's not even for birth control. And that leads us to menstruation. My daughter, Julia, was having such pain with her periods, she would pass out. She would pull off to the side of the road and throw up. She, the pain was excruciating. And here I'm going to get the mom of the year award, but she's told me several times and I thought she was exaggerating. I was like, okay, no one gets that sick from their period. I mean, I can't go to school, my period, you know, and I feel horrible because it was true. She really was having that pain. And I didn't want to go on birth control for a lot of reasons. And, and I asked her, I mean, I said, are you sexually active? No. And I said, I don't want you to go on this. I just know it's not good for your body. And you can actually go online and just get it. I mean, you cannot even see, be seen by a doctor and just go online and get birth control. So she was on it for a while. I never connected her panic attacks to that until you just said
0: this. Mm-hmm. Because
1: yeah. she was having panic attacks. But you know, we had life stuff going on. So I figured that's what it was. But it also could have been the birth control. Yeah, that's
0: just a, it's just a piece, right? It's just a piece of it. And especially when they appear to come out of nowhere. All of a sudden, I have these issues, right? And. Sorry, can you talk about periods? Yeah, absolutely. So, another thing that I think generationally women should know, especially women in America, is that painful periods, heavy bleeding, clotting, feeling super fatigued, can't get out of bed, can't do anything on your period, feeling sick on your period is not normal. It is common but not normal. Do not normalize that. In Chinese medicine, you are not even supposed to notice your period. Not even supposed to notice it. That doesn't happen here. That's not, you know, all of those things have been normalized as things that can happen while you're on your cycle. And women are just supposed to bear it and go through it and go about their day and act like nothing's wrong or get birth control or something else so that they don't feel those problems. Not actually address what's going on to have that cascade of pain and clotting and fatigue and blood loss so ideally you really shouldn't be noticing your period and I would say even for me you know personally my cycle luckily I've always had a very regular cycle which is nice but I until like maybe even maybe like last year I wasn't able to work out during my first two days of my cycle because I would usually get too exhausted, and it would uh, it would actually create cramping. Mm-hmm. I can work out day one, two, day before. You know, it doesn't matter anymore. And it had to do a lot with the things I was doing leading up to my cycle. So there are a lot of nutritional things. There's a lot of environment, and I should say hydration, movement, all those pieces. Uh, B vitamins, right, affect your cycle and how that feels. Uh, If you're clotting on your cycle, the number one thing I would say, if you feel like you clot a lot, right, we're getting into the nitty gritty of stuff, but is are you moving on your period? The answer is probably no, because you don't feel like doing anything. And if you are clotting on your period, guess what? It's going to make your period more painful because as those clots pass through your cervix, it's heavier, right? There's more space. There's more substance going through. So it's going to create a cramp. So if we... Move more on a period. I'm just talking. I'm not saying go do a hit workout. I'm like walk, walk the whole entire week leading up to your period. Walk on day one, two, three, four, and I would bet, I would bet you that you'll have less clotting and less pain to come with that. Now, the only uh, reason that wouldn't be true is if we're talking about endometriosis. If we're talking about PCOS, you know that that's a more complex um, version of pain and painful, painful periods, but. Most of the time, utilizing things like seed cycling, which everyone should go look up and do if you have any sort of irregularity in your period, movement, hydration, and appropriate rest, too. There are so many things that we can do that require balance to have a better period. We're always talking about ebb and flow of hormones in your periods. So the ones that you guys should know about are estrogen and progesterone, right? Estrogen and progesterone, when you start your cycle, should be lower. And the first thing that we swing into as we're those first few days of bleeding is our estrogen sh- level should start to go up because we're trying to create a new follicle. After we're shedding that lining, we're going to try and create a new follicle. And then when we get to ovulation, estrogen should come down a little bit and progesterone should come up and then the cycle repeats of this rise and fall. What's happening is uh, a lot of people are experiencing something called estrogen dominance. Now, estrogen dominance can either be um, essentially an imbalance, a ratio to progesterone to estrogen, where you're not necessarily high in estrogen, but when we're looking at how much progesterone you have to estrogen, there's an imbalance there ratio-wise, and it can create a list of symptoms like what we've been talking about, heavy bleeding cramping, fatigue, all these things. And then there's also the just elevated estrogen dominance where you do have not only do you not have enough progesterone, you have way too much estrogen and that will create more severe symptoms. But I don't think anybody's really taught and I would say before I went to medical school, I didn't really understand my period and I got mine when I was 14, right? Why did I have to go to medical school to understand my cycle? Why aren't we talking about it? Why aren't we educating women? That is
1: a whole topic that I'm going to get into in this podcast of us not even understanding. I don't understand my cycle. As you're saying, remember when this happens? I'm like, yeah, no. I mean, I don't pay attention <laughs> to that. I don't remember that. I don't. Right. We're not taught that. We are taught fear it, hide it and hide it, grin and bear it. Mm-hmm. Put that on a t-shirt. That's oh, what we're yeah. taught as women. We don't even understand what the hell's happening in our own body to the point where that's why also so many accidental pregnancies happen too, because we don't even know when we're ovulating. We don't even know how it works. And you've got these young girls all going on birth control because their cramps are so bad that they can't walk. Well, that's because they're not nourished. They're underhydrated. They're not moving their
0: bodies. Yeah, they're taught that they're supposed to be sick during their period.
1: Yeah. And they're taught they're supposed to be sick. And then the ones that really are like Julia. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, living on processed food, not drinking any water, never exercising. Oh, I wonder why my period's so bad. I'll just take a pill. Oh crap. Now I have panic attacks. <laughs>
0: it's like, right. Maybe
1: I'll take another pill. Not related. Yeah. And I just need another pill. Yes. Oh my gosh.
0: You're right. This could be a whole topic on. And guess what? We weren't educated because it was something you are supposed to hide. Luckily, I feel like that is shifting. And it's being talked about more. But we're talking about how poorly birth control is made, let alone menstrual products, right? Tampons are horrible, horrible. And they cause more cramping because your vaginal wall tries to contract around it continually. Oh, really? Is that why? Seriously, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes if I have a patient that I'm treating for menstrual issues, I always ask what they're using. And last year, Jill, I went paper free last year. So I utilize, and I highly recommend this. I use the Flux cup and then I use the Thinx underwear and they're fabulous. Are those good? They're I so saw good. I
1: the commercial and I was like, oh, I don't know about that.
0: Yeah, I know. It freaks everybody out and it did me too, but they are fabulous. Oh Absolutely my Absolutely fabulous. And I highly recommend, especially like if you have a daughter who's around 11 years old, you should be packing a pair of those period underwear in her bag. And they do make junior pairs. And you can better understand your output uh, how much you should be bleeding. A lot of women are like, when they're telling me that, I don't really think my period's heavy. And I ask them, well, how many tampons or pads or cups do you go through? It's ridiculous the amount that they're going through. If a menstrual cup's supposed to last you 12 hours and you're changing it every three, you're bleeding too much and you're probably also anemic. And, And that's why you're tired. And you feel like your heart's beating in your chest every time you try to climb a Light of stairs at the age of seventeen, and it's just things of, of looking and asking and educating, and I will I do teach my patients about their cycle and about what's not normal. Can you talk about the cup though? Okay,
1: because it yeah, freaks me out. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds messy and gross, and I'm just going to be honest like it's so interesting how we accept things when we're ready. I actually was told many years before most of my friends because I was partnered with a brilliant, holistic medical doctor, I've told you about Dr. Candace course Corson. She told me how bad tampons were. And I've, so I've known it, but I've still used them. She's like, don't ever put those in you. If you're ever going to use one, get the organic cotton ones. And I tried one and it was like, I couldn't figure it out. And I was like, this is dumb. And I threw it away. But the cup, I have people that use the cup and it grosses me out. I, I'm feeling like it's going to be messy. And so let's just get real about it. What is it and how does it work?
0: Yeah, here we go. So the truth is, Jill, it's all messy. If We really think about it. Your yeah, period's a right. little messy anyway. <laughs> it's all messy. So I use the Flex Cup, which is a little bit different than like the Diva Cup. And I forget the other more popular one, but Because it has uh, like a string, like a tampon would, that goes through the middle of the cup, so that you pull that string and it self collapses. Where the other cups, like you're inserting your finger, collapsing the cup and pulling it down, right? Oh yeah, and that's the one
1: I would use. That's why I didn't want to go like digging up in there to (laughs)
0: pull it right. No one wants to go searching for that. (laughs) So uh, women do though. But yeah, so I highly recommend the the Flex cups, the one that I use. They also make a um, disposable cup. I use them sometimes on vacation if I don't want to like if we're running around, then I can just take it out and throw it away and put in another one. But it looks like a disc and it catches and collects everything. The cool thing about that disposable one is you can actually when you when you go to the bathroom to pee and you contract that muscle, it'll actually tip your cup and empty it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So when I use those, I use them on vacation. they are a little expensive and so I won't have to change it all day. It's great. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So the reason to use
1: these is one, it's better for your health, and two, it's mm-hmm. not causing as much cramping because your body's not clamping down on it to try right. to. Okay, it's
0: made of silicone, which is non-toxic. It is forming. So this is another thing. I recently was <laughs> I had to tell tell my husband this. I was trying to tell him, he's like, you know, just curious guy. How, how do you get that? there? I said, well, there's like a shelf. There's a turn. It's it's not straight up in there. There's a little turn to your cervix. And he's like, does everybody's have a turn? And I was like, do you think I'm just a weirdo who's like <laughs> that vagina turn? <laughs> so you put it just past your coccyx bone, which you can, you'll be able to feel It really isn't more messy than anything else that you would use. I would say that you have less accidents. Uh, I usually, my longer days uh, of bleeding are usually days two and three. And if I'm working, you know, sometimes I work 11 hour days. If I'm working, I will use my cup and a pair of the Thinks underwear. And that way, if the cup gets full and I'm with a patient and I I can feel it, I know I have those underwear on and nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. So I love it. It's great. Again, that silicone is more forgiving to your vaginal wall so that uh, your vaginal wall isn't contracting around it. It's just holding it. If it is contracting, everything moves with it where a tampon can't move.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have a question that's going to come across as a dumb question, but I know someone's thinking this. So how is it non-toxic to put silicone in your vagina, Mm -hmm. but it's toxic to keep silicone in your body as in an implant?
0: Yes, that's actually a great question, Jill. So silicone is made out of sand, right? Which is why it's non-toxic. And we're not keeping it in our body. So it can't form things that we have issues with any type of implant, right? Not just silicone implants, but like any Mm -hmm. type of implant can grow what we call a biofilm. So silicone for the use of menstruation because we're only utilizing it and we're taking it out and we're cleaning it and putting it back in, right? We can't do that with implants. We can't take out our okay. implants and clean them, and so you can't form biofilms around them. But that is why anything implanted in your body that's not made of your tissue can cause a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes those things are are very necessary. Sometimes not. And there are ways to treat biofilm formation. But essentially, as long as that implant is in there, it's going to create a biofilm. Mm, interesting. Um, again, that will not happen with a, a silicone type of menstrual cup. Okay. Well, I just thought I'd ask. I thought that was interesting. Okay. So
1: before we the close out question, I think I would love to talk about, is just like the the high level brief talk about hormones unrelated to birth control, just like female hormones, what you see in your office what you want us to know. But before we get to that, I do want to take, speaking of left turns, I want to take a quick left turn because I know that you have seen in your office presented clinically over and over and over again, women who are coming in who have never had issues with their cycle and they're having really, really difficult menstrual cycles and you and many, many, many other physicians all over the world, no matter what, The news will say, no matter what we see on social media, no matter what some doctors are saying, you all have come to the inclusion that it is connected to the protein spike shedding with this latest, I will say shot, without giving it an actual name. We all know what shot we're talking about. And I know some people think, I have a friend who's a super smart nurse and I love her to death. We don't agree on everything, but she, when she heard that, she's like, that's crazy. Like, I just, I don't believe that. And I get why people might think that. Like, how in the world is any sort of immunization going to cause that? But what are you seeing and why have you all now connected it to that?
0: We do know and, and have been tracking that people who are getting the shot, women who are getting the shot are having um, changes in menstruation. It can be a, a single cycle change, right, where it's more cramming, clotting, or skipping whole periods, or it can be more complex than that can be like, I don't ovulate anymore after getting this shot, which is a big issue. So we knew that that was happening. We didn't know exactly mechanism-wise how it was happening, but it was definitely happening and definitely being reported by women. Well, then we talk about this protein spike shedding and essentially not really having a choice to be inoculated or not with, with how shedding works. And I, I remember you know, at the time a patient had asked me that shots had just been started being given out. And she said, well, like all these women that are talking about what's happening to their cycles after they get the the shot, you know, can that happen with this protein sh- shedding? Like, should I be worried? Should I be looking into, you know... Uh, anything changing in my cycle anything changing my hormones and I said you know at the, at that time I really hadn't been seeing anything in my unvaccinated women population but I was kind of early on and again I I wasn't able to even with my knowledge at that time to really think of a way of like how that could happen and then I had six patients the long-time patients of mine not new patients six patients of mine come in acutely with massive changes in their cycle, massive depressive episodes, just feeling a lot, a big thing they were talking about was just irritability. Like they just, they're like, I feel more irritable than I ever have. And they're like, it's beyond any type of PMS. So I started drawing their hormones, right? Obviously it was a hormone problem. These are patients I knew well that never really had issues before and their estrogen levels were off the charts. And then I started to get mad. And then I started to ask like, okay, obviously something's going on. I don't know what. These are patients of mine, by the way, who were not vaccinated. And I said, how is this happening? How is this happening? So I called a friend of mine that sees their, their population of patients There is mostly female health. And so I said, you know, I told her what I had just seen in my last six patients and you by week two, it was up to eight or 10. And so I said, you know, this is what I'm seeing. I said, it doesn't really make sense to me. But at at this point, it's not a coincidence. It's clearly happening and affecting affecting our patient population. If I'm seeing it in the small, you know, my small little clinic uh, with the females that I see, it's got to be happening other places. So I called another office in Michigan. I talked to her. She said, yeah, we've been seeing it drastically for the past two months. And it's absolutely insane. All unvaccinated people, as far as this new one, but they
1: were around a recently vaccinated person. Is that right? Right. Mm -hmm. And will you just touch on too, I know some people will say, because I had a friend say, well, this isn't possible because they're not injecting with a live virus. The virus itself is not shedding. That's not what you're saying.
0: Right it's a protein speck that's shedding that is creating the immune response that's happening, but it's beyond immune response at this point, right because it's systemic changes is happening, and that's why it's problematic again, it's not anything that I would have thought could have happened, but gosh, like I am so mad that there is essentially no way for me as a physician to report this happening. There's nothing that I can do or say if anything, I might get in trouble or banned or blacklisted if I do, but it is happening to thousands of women. And um, a lot of them are just thinking that they're going through a tough time in life. If you don't have a doctor, like they just think that they're all of a sudden they're depressed and that something's wrong with them.
1: Or menopause, right? I'm a little or older, so it must be early menopause. And you're saying, right. no, it's not that.
0: It's... No, I'm seeing perimenopausal women who have estrogen levels that are way too high. Your estrogen should be falling, right? It right. shouldn't be off the charts. Or people starting
1: their periods who have, have not been menstruating for months. I've heard of that too.
0: Yeah, spotting for months every day. I mean, you can hear it in my voice. I'm aggravated a lot because we're trying to ignore it and not acknowledge it as a society. And then again, once again, women are just going to fall off. for complaining. It's our periods, whatever. Nothing's wrong with you you're just an overwhelmed mom, right? And I think that's what's really mad. It's like, I there is literally, I I have been treating it as luckily successfully, we are getting those estrogen levels back where they should be. And some patients, it's a single cycle's worth, right? We're treating for four weeks and then they're back to their normal. But my patients who do have hormonal issues, it can be a lot longer than that. And I think that's what's frustrating is there's no way for us to really like, Report it to largely educate women what's happening and to even just to, hey, if, if some of these symptoms are happening to you, I want you to consider this or at least go get your hormones tested to see if they've fluxed within mm-hmm. the last two months.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. I told someone I'm going to turn into someone who's on the opposite side of the argument. You know, they used to say, didn't want to be around me. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, I feel like saying, Look, I'm gonna mask up if you've been recently vaccinated. I don't wanna be around you and I'm not gonna touch you. <laughs> because I
0: mean, it actually is how I feel. Yeah. I am having patients come in and say, like, how do we avoid this? And the sad thing, Joel, is I don't think we can. And, you know, even if you did mask up, it wouldn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't matter. I was I'm being facetious when I say yes, that. I, I yeah. want to
1: live in fear. And say, don't come around me with your cooties because you've mm-hmm. been recently vaccinated. But that person thinks that I'm the one that has the cooties and that they're safe. <laughs> we could have a whole
0: five other episodes on oh, this shit. Yeah. Let me tell you. I mean, I've, this is like, that's what I've, I've never, I mean, yeah, we could talk about this forever because I've never seen something where like we're blaming individuals for making individuals sick. Like we've never done that, even with the flu. You didn't like hunt somebody down. No, you say, I caught the flu. I caught the flu. It's going around. (laughs) Yeah, it's going around. Exactly. People are still talking about, I saw like somebody on Twitter said something like, I thought I had a cold. I've been wearing my mask. I've been vaccinated. I've quarantined. And yet I still tested positive for COVID. The dumb people who aren't doing their part. Still blaming it on somebody else. <laughs> and I was like, those heartless people who don't care about those, humanity. Those heartless people who aren't taking precautions are the reason why I got COVID. And uh, I mean, we like I said, like we could we could go on forever. Your health is your responsibility. It's nobody else's. We've never blamed people for getting sick like this before. And there's a lot that we could talk about uh, pandemic-wise. I'm very empathetic to COVID, or at least I like to think that I am. And people have died from this virus. This thing is, yes, was it's real. Very, is very real. I don't understand that people are saying that it's not real. It was very real. People have died, but there's a lot more to go into it from, from a physician perspective and the physicians who have come out and tried to talk about what really is happening and what's really wrong, get shut down, lose their license. They've made it impossible for you to talk about. They really have. And Why? I mean, episode part three, let's talk about why. And why. (laughs) If there's
1: nothing fishy going on and everything's just on the up and up and there's just COVID and there's these vaccines and everything, I mean, this is, I have friends that think this and they get to, and I honor that, but then they're telling me that I'm the crazy one. Okay. But if everything's on the up and up, then why do they care if Dr. Harmon goes on Instagram and tells the truth? Why would why is it a problem for her to say, hey, I don't know about you guys, but this is what I'm seeing in my clinic. You can't even mention, I just saw an emergency room physician in Canada went uh, live, I think it was yesterday, maybe. You probably saw it, where he said, I'm willing to give up my license at this point. I cannot believe because now in Canada, you ready for this? You are cited for recommending vitamin D3. I mean, are you kidding me? Oh my goodness. I mean, the sunshine hormone now is the devil. You can't recommend D three. They called it a conspiracy theory. There's so much scientific evidence to prove what D three does.
0: Oh my goodness. We have loads of research. I, I did not see that job. Sadly, I'm not surprised. I mean, the number uh right, the argument is like, Well, I believe in science. And I'm like, well, I studied science. Yeah. Like, I do believe in science and this, what you guys are making this out to be and the the, the terms, the precautions and the things that we have come up with is not scientific no. by any mean. I mean, not truly. Yeah. There's a doctor I, I
1: follow that you would like called Dr. Brett Jones. He's a chiropractor. And he posted the other day, following the science is not the same as following the rules. Mm-hmm you know and mm-hmm. it's always the science we believe in science we follow the science well let's take a look at what science you're talking about there is a lot of science that is proven it's not a hypothesis that's proven that no one's seeing that they're hiding and burying and making you doctors you're in a place where you take the hippocratic oath and de- but then you're supposed to go against that i promise to do no harm But now I have to do harm because I'm not allowed to say that I have these three solutions that help you so that your risk reduction is over 75% of going to the hospital or dying if I give you these three things. But I'm not allowed to talk about it. That right there is taking the Hippocratic Oath and throwing it out the window. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's just absolutely insane. I've, I've had patients come in like, hey, do you have any articles on how nutrition helps my immune system? Any scientific articles? Uh, of like how that even works and i said do you want my human biochemistry book my human physiology <laughs> I mean, book like like you said it's not a theory like this is how it works like there <laughs> certainly are studies that that isolate certain types of nutrients and minerals and foods and things like that or diets right but when we're talking about why we're looking into it specifically is because we understand human biochemistry, human physiology, and your immune system. Like we understand IgG, IgA, IgM, you know, like it's just, and we're acting like we're not. I'm absolutely floored most of the time about that. And it's frustrating and scary. It's scary. It is scary. And not only that you all
1: are being hushed and you're afraid to speak the truth, based on science, by the way, based on your clinical observations, by the way, with no agenda, what are you going to gain by saying something like this, right? Nothing.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. Nothing. You know, you're Absolutely used to nothing. going I against lose, the grain. I could lose everything. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, you're used to sharing information that we've heard for the last hour that isn't mainstream, right? So this isn't just like a quick left turn all of a sudden. You're, you're not only at risk you're not gaining you're at risk and this is this is what you do you share truth but on top of that the part that is infuriating to me I'm not a healthcare provider just as a citizen as a human of this world I'm frustrated because the media and the big tech giants and all the people who are in charge of this message right now and even people I know people I'm friends with what bothers me Dr. Harmon is when they say that people like you and I are saying that COVID isn't real that's not true we're not saying that. There are some people out there that will say that, but the the majority of people, doctors and nurses, health professionals, or just lay people who are saying, hmm, something smells a little fishy. Hmm, this, this, this. Hmm, I thought vitamin D3 worked. What about hydroxychloroquine? Gosh, because I know everyone who I met on a mission trip and they could get it immediately at whatever country, at the pharmacy, over the counter. Anybody who's scratching their heads, the media, I've seen reporters on, CNN saying this. They're saying that people in this group that I just described that that we're all conspiracy theorists that we're saying that covid isn't real and that we're all anti-vaccine for all vaccines. That none of that is true.
0: You get lumped into groups just like your body gets lumped into systems. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. I mean, really? And then if you if you are if you're very open about opposing the things that are happening, you get you get gaslighted, right? We we've seen that oh, happen over and over again. And it is very scary. I'm glad that God placed me and put me on my path, become a naturopathic doctor so that hopefully I can help some stragglers of people that are out there and not just the ones that are willing to stand up and ask why, right? I get a lot of those patients already, but on the other end, like I've had some patients come in, new patients this year who were like, look, all I've ever done is conventional medicine. All I've ever believed, I've believed every word my medical doctor has said. They've been very good to me. This past year has been very weird. I don't understand why or what, but I feel like something's going on and I'm just looking for other options. Mm -hmm.
1: And as a patient, I know what your answer is going to be, but I'd love for you to sort of go on the record. If you really thought it was better for all of your patients and your, your colleagues who you share a building with, for all of us to have been wearing one, two, or 18 masks on our face when we came to your office, wouldn't you have asked us to do that? Right. If yeah, you really absolutely. saw evidence that it would have reduced the risk. Meanwhile, we're putting masks on our children. Now, I'm not shaming moms because they're moms that have no choice at this point. They got to have their kids in daycare. They have to work. I get it. Mm-hmm. But the women who have the choice, who are just complying and masking their children up, I'm not going to make any friends when I say this, but I don't get that. The one Many women don't have a choice, but the parents who have the choice who aren't willing to look at the effects of having the mask on, is it really helping? What is the percentage of of children actually dying of COVID? 0.0000 nothing. That's what it is. (laughs) They say 300 kids have died. I I would love to see who those 300 kids are. And and if they can produce 300 names, I personally believe that 300 of them had severe chronic illness and precursors that would make them at risk for any flu, anything going around. But I, I listened to someone the other day who said they can't even produce the 300 names. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. But I know that if you thought it would help us, you would have had everyone masked up. We weren't wearing masks in your office. None of us did during the height of the quote unquote pan I call pandemic. Mm-hmm. None of us were wearing masks. And I know how much you care about your patients. Mm-hmm.
0: And then we did we told everybody that essentially we thought of masking as like a medical mandate and didn't bother us if you came in with a mask. I, even I, I told my patients if the, if it made them more comfortable for me to see them if they wore a mask and I wore a mask, I would do that for that patient. Even though like I'm the one right with the with the medical degree and understand. You have to be empathetic because people are scared. People are acting out of fear and you have to be empathetic to that. And so, yeah, I would have asked you if I thought that it was going to do anything. But, you know, my shortest appointment gel is 30 minutes long, like a mask, even an N95 isn't going to do much. In that time period of you and I being face to face. And the other two doctors in my office are chiropractors. They're literally going to touch you. Like, <laughs> you know, like their job is to be hands on. And so for us, a lot of it just didn't even make sense. You know, it was my boss, Dr. Caleb Such, was very outwardly opposed to it. You know, he has more stronger opinions than I do. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I tend to be, try to live more in the middle. But, you know, I worked in the hospital. I knew the reasons when we did wear masks for uh, respiratory droplets, but I'm in the room maybe five minutes with that patient and that mask was to protect myself, not the patient. Right. And so, you know, things like that, that just didn't line up that we've never done. We've never done something like that in medicine before. So yeah, I absolutely would have, you know, should I have thought it been the right medical choice for you? I think it hurt a lot of people this year. You know, my patients with lung conditions definitely suffered from having to wear masks. And if they had medical exemption forms, they were, people approached them and in stores and was like, none of us want to do it, but we have to. And they're like, well, I have a medical exemption because I have COPD and I literally can't wear a mask over my face because I have what they call a restrictive lung disease. and we are just so lost and so acting out of fear and uh, on the on the side of you know deaths uh, of COVID, no matter the age. To me, and this, maybe this isn't as empathetic and I don't mean it not to be, but to me, God numbers our days. And that's true. That's just true to me. And it's not to go out and live recklessly. That wasn't the point, but truly God numbers our days and anything can take us at any time. Freak accidents happen, freak illnesses happen. All the time, you you have things that turn in the hospital that aren't supposed to turn, right? And sometimes because they miss stuff. The third leading cause of death in America is medical error.
1: But with this, when you look at the rate, the death rate, I don't get how people don't see that. I know how this sounds. I understand that this could land as arrogant. I want to say for the record, I had COVID. My whole family did. My parents both got very ill from COVID. It's a real thing. I know people have died and I get it. And there's a second piece to it. The statistics they're throwing out all over the news, not real. They're blown out of proportion. They are manufactured. You know, the numbers that they're reading are to incite fear. And they did a good job of that. How do we know that? Is it me just pulling it out of thin air? No, because now we have people on record showing proof that they were incentivized. Hospitals were incentivized to say it was a COVID Or paid. Paid. And the actual CDC even saying, if I died in a motorcycle accident and I happened to test positive for COVID, then it was a COVID death. That alone to me, Dr. Harmon, just that statement alone, how does that not sign, sealed, and delivered, done? And I get that everyone's different. We all think differently. But from my brain, I'm like, that right there is enough. That's all I needed to hear. Hmm. So all these people dying, hold on a second. Did they really die of COVID? No.
0: And I mean, doctors were coming forward saying that they were asked to falsify death records, right? Death certificates. And it just... like you said, things have been fishy and they've been fishy for a while They've been fishy since the whole thing that started. I remember sitting in my in-law's house and talking at that time, nothing had been shut down, right? And so they're like, they're saying that America is going to have to quarantine and all the businesses are in close. I was like, no way. Like, you know, I've been watching this, I understand virology. I'm not a virologist, but I understand virology. I understand the immune system. I was looking at the death rate. I was like, that would make no sense. Why would they do that? And then it happened like a week later. I literally was like, what is happening? And then I started to question, do I not know? This is pretty fresh in my mind. You know, I'm a pretty new doc, but like all of that is pretty fresh in my mind. Do I really not know or understand? And then five days I'm like, oh, nobody who's actually making decisions for what is happening is actually a doctor in practice.
1: Yeah, that's terrifying. What about the new head of the WHO? That's
0: terrifying. Right. Nobody who is making decisions for a nation is actually practicing medicine. And therefore, they weren't really seeing what was going on and they weren't really seeing what I would call like truer statistics. We weren't really measuring anything. This study that's out right now for this shot, like, is happening. Like, you are the test subject, right? And it's not being tracked well. It's one of the worst studies I've seen. And there's going to be a lot of things that we don't know until years later. And even then, we won't know anything.
1: Look at the kids right now with myocarditis. I mean, mm-hmm. that is terrifying. Yes. And now there's a warning label, mm-hmm. right? For myocarditis. And I don't know. I need to just zip my lip right now because I could, I could go on for hours about how frustrated I am clearly about this. And I want to say to anyone listening, first of all, you shouldn't care what I think. You should care right. what you think. Yeah. But I'm not judging. And I am not shaming anyone who is afraid and they act out of fear because I act out of fear all the time. I think, oh my gosh, someone's going to take my kids. Oh my gosh, I I live that way in many ways, so I get it. What I'm frustrated about isn't people making a choice. Hey, I'm afraid I'm going to wear a bunch of masks. I'm going to keep myself inside and take a bath in, in antibacterial gel. Okay, I don't get that, but I don't judge it. Here's the part that I will admit I judge. I judge the part where you're shaming me and others and also putting us in a basket of deplorables, right? And and that's the part that's hard for me.
0: You live where you're comfortable. I'm going to live where I'm comfortable. And... I mean, people were calling the police to report yes. their neighbors at the beginning. That is not an emergency. <laughs> like, And the police, they to. literally had the police had to like put out a thing. Your neighbor's not wearing a mask is an emergency. Your, yes. your neighbor's having guests over is not an emergency. Like all of these things, they have other things to do.
1: Okay? And Dr. Harmon, I have friends living in Canada who tell me that they feel like they're living in North Korea. They're terrified. I mean, they're like, Jill, you don't understand how bad it is. We're getting citations for shaking hands. They have a guy, a pastor right now, one pastor in hiding and another pastor I just saw on the news last night who is facing three years jail time for gathering outdoors, gathering outdoors, having service outdoors after he was warned like three times. And he admitted he pushed the envelope, but he, he immigrated from a communist country And he said, look where I am now. The same thing is happening. And I have friends and I'm in um, a course called Elementum. So I have friends all over the world. And I have friends that are being forced to, I have a friend right now, my friend Victoria. She's an expert in human design and an amazing, amazing uh, functional medicine health coach and, and in South Africa. And she just moved back home to the UK and she's in 14 days forced quarantine right now in a hotel. But she said, Jill, it wasn't just that. It was the police escort. It was that they took my passport when I landed. She's a UK citizen who was living in South Africa moved back. They took her passport, shuttled them on buses, they taped the bus closed and marked it and then transported them. It was terrifying.
0: They literally acting like it's Ebola. Yeah. Ebola that kills people, okay? And is super contagious and we do things like that and and people die. But this is not Ebola. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And don't get me started on Dr. Fauci. Oh Look what God. he did with the AIDS epidemic. I mean, that guy has thousands of deaths on his hands, blood on his hands of gay men who died because of his actions. And somehow he's still the guy everyone's looking into and he's on every show. And and I, I know someone who has a coffee cup with Dr. Fauci's picture on it because she's such a fan because he saved the world. Oh my gosh. Okay. So thank you so much
0: for this entertaining. (laughs) Left turn, left
1: uh, turn. Major left turn. But you know what? That's what I love about our podcast is we're willing to talk about almost anything. So, oh my gosh, we covered birth control and hormones, menstruation, menstrual cups, cups, (laughs) acupuncture, homeopathy. And I know you agreed to be on another time and you shared that you have a few colleagues who can dive in with Absolutely. us as well. And it's, oh, so we so appreciate you, Dr. Harmon. And I know, so Dr. Harmon's in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And truly, if you're within four to six hours, I would drive. I would drive. She wouldn't tell you that, but I'm going to tell you that to be her patient. <laughs> um, and is there, is there a website where they can find you? Or how would they find you if they if really did want to look you up?
0: Yeah. Crossroads Wellness Center. I think it's Crossroads. I should know this off the top of my head. I think it's crossroadswellnesscenterfw.com is our website And if you Google Dr. Molly Harmon, Fort Wayne, I should come up, you know, (laughs) theoretically, I should be listed on the INANP website, INANP, I think it's .org, which is all of the naturopathic physicians practicing in the state of Indiana and where they're at. And now, again, these are naturopathic doctors who went to naturopathic medical school. They are the only eight that practice in Indiana. And then uh, you can also find me on AANP.org, which is a list of every state that has naturopathic doctors and they'll help you find the closest naturopathic doctor to you.
1: Oh, great. Um,
0: so you should be able to find me. If not, Jill will tell you where I am.
1: <laughs> and we <will you> also <laughs> share, you have two colleagues who mm-hmm. do a lot of really great work with women's health. Will you tell us how to find them on Instagram? So what is their Instagram yes. name or yep. handle?
0: So Dr. Jennifer Buckner, her handle on Instagram is at doc docjen uh, underscore ND. That's her professional Instagram handle. And she's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then, also, a more popular uh, naturopathic doctor is Dr. Jolene Brighton, who wrote the book Beyond the Pill. I uh, highly recommend if you just want more information about birth control, about options, right? About options, we could spend a whole podcast session on that. And then, about hormone detox, at home hormone detox. That's a great little read. I mean, she wrote it really well for the patient with lots of resources, lots of resources. Like if you came to see me that I would tell you to use. So yeah, Jolene Brighton has lots of sources. Um, She has a good blog page on her website as well. Dr. Jennifer Buckner.
1: And for Dr. Jen, it's Jen B. So it's D-O-C-J-E-N-B underscore N-D. Correct. So I just started Mm -hmm. following her. Thank you for that. Well, everybody, I'm sure this was super informative and educational. I hope a little bit entertaining. Go out and get those menstrual cups and let us know what you think. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Harmon.